0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Best New Host podcast, The Calling a Man's Answer Show, every Tuesday and Friday. Happy New Year. We made it out of this bullshit 2020 and we're on to bigger and better things in 2021 and hopefully the end of a pandemic. If you guys have not already, subscribed to me so you guys can stay updated with The Calling a Man's Answer Show and to listen to engaging conversations with different types of people. This is episode 32 with Brendan Snyder. He's the host of the podcast Films with the Woman in My Life in which he sits down with the woman in his life and critiques different films you guys should check him out on all streaming platforms and his social media other than that check out this episode it's really cool okay thank you and you pronounce it brennan correct
1: that's right brennan
0: uh thank you for being here brennan um you're actually believe it or not my first the first interview kind of podcast style that i've done with an actual podcaster so thank you for being oh
1: no one else has been a podcaster on yet of, of any sort
0: no. Yeah. So just to start off, uh, usually this is how I treat my guests. I just would like you to introduce yourself to the listeners. Uh, say what your podcast is about. If you do anything else that you want to um, talk about, just go ahead and start with that. All right, man.
1: Yeah. No, my name's is Brennan um, and I am the host and creator of a podcast called Films with the Women in My Life. Uh, it is we do it once or twice a week. Uh, it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the major platforms. Uh, it's a review, movie review show. We usually tackle one movie a week. Sometimes I'll interview, I have interviewed some actors and directors um, before, but it's mostly pick a movie. We all review it with uh, the women in my life. So the, my three co-hosts are my mother, uh, my girlfriend, longtime girlfriend, and one of my best friends who, her and I started the show together. Um, but yeah, it's it's that's the main thing I do. I have a day job that I do. I'm in management consulting, but uh, it's a fun thing to do in, in the spare time. We've been doing it for coming up on two years now.
0: Yeah, that was the next question I wanted to get into. How did you start podcasting? Um, especially this very explicit, like uh, kind of a niche area of like, dealing with the uh, films with the women in your life, diving into like a, almost like a movie review. How did you get there? How did you start the podcast? Was it just a long time um, kind of fascination you had? Or how, how did you start your podcast?
1: Yeah, I, um, I, I've i listened to podcasts forever. I love podcasts as a medium. They're great for, you know, comedians, celebrities to reach out to people and like get one-on-one with their audience. And it's also easy for people who don't have any access at all to just break in. And if they're, get the, Stuff's like people will like it back. Um, so I just like it as a really easy creation medium. Uh I've always wanted to do a show. Uh my mom always badgered me, she thought we would make a good show. I'm like, it's I, I get it, but there's not enough there. I don't think if people want to hear my mother-son talk about stuff, it needs to be something else. Uh, and I met my friend Jess, who's my co-host on the other show, and yeah, what was that? Probably three years ago now, and it was during the Movie Pass days. I don't know if you know, remember Movie Pass or what all that was about, but uh, it was the subscription service where you pay ten bucks a month and you get to see an un- unlimited amount of movies basically a month at the any theater chain for just ten bucks a month. So we would go all, like all the time. I, I even always say, I was "Like, I'm pretty sure I'm in." Expense number on their On their sheets that like they probably Like oh this fucking guy he's cost us like three Grand this year always going there um, But we were like we we Wanted to just keep talking About talking about him I was like all right now I got her I got my mom And I'm, my girlfriend who I had just Met pretty like not, not A couple of months after that point I was like all right we kind of got I got Like a kind of a gimmick here like there's a lot of The movie review shows out there are mostly dudes, mostly middle-aged, 30-something year old dudes, and they, they kind of all not that they all have the same opinions, but it's kind of all the same kind of style. I'm like, not a lot of women stuff out there. I got three women who want to talk about movies with me, so we just, like, I was just like, it took about a couple months to actually, like, get the mics and, like, get going, but we just, you literally sat down one day, uh, Jess and I did the first two episodes, and we were like, a little rough, but let's just keep doing it, and we just kept doing it. Yeah,
0: so Little rough. That's a good description of like how to, like when you start doing this, it's, yes, a, it is. <laughs> it's a weird thing to podcasting is weird. Like, so I'm a really big fan of a couple of shows, mainly, obviously Joe Rogan experience. Everyone loves yep. the show. Um, and then I don't know if you know the Pat McAfee show, it's more sports uh, football kind of area.
1: No, I, I, all my stuff I listen to mostly is like I listen to some comedy stuff, other film stuff, and then I like fantasy sports. So Do I know you some
0: listen to the to Duncan Trussell show.
1: Uh, I know Duncan Trussell is, but no, I don't I don't want to do a show.
0: So he has a show on Netflix, too, called The Midnight Gospel. And it's like, so he takes his podcast, like certain segments of his podcast, and he and it's like super animation and made like a cartoon out of it. Like a, almost like a Rick and Morty kind of cartoon out of his
1: podcast.
0: So you want to check Does that it out? it like
1: a company? Like, are they skits in it? Or is it like as, as he talks, like an animation? So I think
0: the, the beginning and the end or like, um, just episode kind of content. And then the middle is just like, it's like he's going on a journey. It's a, his character is called Clancy uh, and he's going on a journey and like on the journey, mm. somebody and it's like the guest and they're, they're like obviously cartoons. So there's like, sometimes there's like a fish or something, you know, crazy. And they're like yeah. going on a journey and they're, but the journey is actually the podcast conversation.
1: Huh. I would be interested in that. I've heard him a couple of times on, I listened, I listened to Dr. Drew After Dark and he's been mm-hmm. on a couple of those episodes. Um, interesting guy.
0: So, so when you started your podcast, was it always gonna be movies? I know you said like, oh, I kind of got this gimmick, like, um, um, even like the movies, like these these women want to talk to me about these movies and everything. But did you ever consider diving into a different area of podcasting?
1: Um, it was no, it was, it was I wanted to do a movie thing first. Like, I write in my spare time, and I like fit around with cameras. I don't, I I didn't go to school for anything like that. I just really like like film in general, so. It was just combining podcasts that the two things I spend all my downtime doing are listening to podcasts while doing something else or watching movies. And so I like talking about them with the people I know. And uh, it, was, it was definitely movies first. I've been on a couple other shows with just people I've met from doing it. It's weird. You just kind of meet people, small time, other people uh, doing it for long enough. But um, it was always movies first, podcasting second, but I, I've grown to... Continue to love both So
0: I got two questions for you right now You can start mm-hmm. with either or One would be What is the worst movie you've ever reviewed And the other would be <laughs> what is the best movie Or in your eyes the best movie ever reviewed And You can start with either or
1: uh, Best is easier Because I have an answer right away Because uh, So we have we, I have, have lists I'm a big making Lists and I have my own personal I have a spreadsheet on my computer Of every movie I've ever seen Ever uh, and I have a bunch of lists of like favorite films from this decade and directors and all that. I think the favorite one of mine that we've ever done on the show was a 2013 film, Spike Jones is her, uh, where he is, uh, he's like an introverted guy in the not too distant future, San Francisco. And he starts dating this operating system. Who's an artificial intelligence. And they have like a really interesting, like full grown out relationship. It doesn't go to like, a lot of AI movies, they go to, like, dystopian places, but this one is very, uh, like, human and AI uh, relationship-focused. And uh, I, that movie, I, I'm known to be the crier on the show, uh, and uh, that was one that, uh, at the end, I used the phrase, I wept like an insane person uh, for the last 20 minutes of that movie. Uh, so we did that, like, a year ago. Uh, we all, we all, three of us had seen it and. well, Two of us had seen it and liked it. One of us didn't like it. And we tried to get the fourth one to watch it. She ended up liking it. So in the end, it was well-reviewed by all of us that were on that one. And that's my personal favorite. But least favorite, that's tougher. That is tougher. Uh, I'm not a big, like, Adam Sandler film guy. Uh, We did one of his Netflix films called Murder Mystery probably not even the worst thing he's done on netflix but that like that his movies like get to me like they get me mad they get me riled up because uh i just see like the behind the scenes like exploitation of eh, people will just kind of fall for his shtick over and over and he's got a built-in audience and doesn't have to try anymore and it's just uh, like it's a a big rabbit hole to go down of his and why his films infuriate me but I mean, there's other. There's, there's a lot of stuff that I haven't cared for that we've done, but nothing really quite hurt me like
0: that. So you said you've been doing this for over two years now. How many episodes have you done so far?
1: Um, ooh, I think we've done like 180 regular episodes, and then we've had, I've probably done like another couple dozen bonus stuff, interviews. We do a top five show at the end of the year. We just did a draft show where I don't know if you play fantasy sports, but you know how you like draft teams in fantasy sports we draft, the four of us go back and forth drafting movies from that year. Yeah, I I can't remember where I got the idea somewhere else uh, where they drafted things that weren't sports players and just Mm. like kind of compared their teams. And then uh, my Instagram is where like, that's like our main social media where I do everything. Uh, I'm Brennan underscore Botto. So I'm sure I'll plug that later on. But we have the tournament coming up in January and that's to decide who, what the listeners' favorite, film is of the year. Last year it ended up being uh, Joker versus Endgame. Kind of predictable. But this year it's a little, this year it's a little more up in the air because the movies have been so, so weird with, uh, you know, theaters being shut down for half the year. Yeah. But um, yeah, we've done probably like 200 shows all, all said.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I've only done I could probably say I've done like I'm sitting on like 10 episodes right now, but cause I only post two a week, but I've done about 40. And an interesting thing that I've found by doing it is you just get better at it as you go. Like it starts off really bad usually. And, um, or like (laughs) in my case, I didn't even know I was, when I was like, it was called a podcast. I just kind of sat down and started rambling one day and (laughs) then, but like, as I get here, like my style is, it's more like, um, I just kind of pick at the person who I'm interviewing. It's not really an interview. I don't like calling it an interview because that's kind of limited, sure. you know. You know, limiting myself to be—I'm not really a journalist. I'm just kind of a person who likes to think and 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 I guess like the kind of areas, I would say is like philosophy That's actually the closest thing you can do. I usually just dive into people and like learn about what their their own niches and stuff like that. But our niche, but um,
1: yeah. So, how long have you been doing it for? You said you have 40 episodes. How 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 long have you been doing? So
0: for? I started technically in like july ish is when i like posted but i started and I, I didn't know how to do it or I, I didn't know that there was like hosting websites so i posted yep. my first on um soundcloud and it was just called i just called it uh, wtf with calling because i was just i said the words what the fuck I, of- I saw
1: that i thought it was a mark Marin reference because of his, oh, yeah. his shows it's also in like interview but not really interview yeah. style that's why i thought it was something yeah some, similar
0: Um, and then, so what happened was, um, I started getting bigger. Like actually, as I started like really trying, like actually like diving into it, I started getting bigger. So I changed my name, changed my logo and things. Um, and so I've done about 40 episodes, but a question I have for you about doing it is Mm -hmm. especially in your specific area of like movies, did you, have you found that you've gotten better at like reviewing movies too? Like, have you become almost like a movie critic? Uh,
1: I've gotten better, but I think you also realize the more, the more you get better at any subject. And like, I don't have like, cause I have like three or four things in life that I'm pretty good at. And like, I'm real focused on. And the more you know about that, the more you realize you know, so little that I get that a lot. Um, like for us, I think we, we clicked in our style pretty early on and haven't changed it. We've changed, we've changed a little bit since then, but like around episode five or six, we were pretty like, we kind of got what, how we were going to do everything, how to keep it structured we all like doing the show really different. I'm the host host. So like I do the intro, I give like a quick recappy thing on the movie. Um, and they're more of like the color commentators. Like, I guess I'm, I'm the play by play guy and they're, they all kind of fill in the gaps and I can put my own thing in there. So I've gotten better at being like the main host, like being, cause like sometimes, sometimes I'm not on a show, not often, but every once in a while, And one of my co-hosts wants to take over. And they're like, it is not fun being the host. Like, you have to, like, I have all these notes. And you have to, like, keep the show structure going. Because when everyone's just kind of talking, it'll just go on forever. Especially when you're doing, like, our show is pretty structured. We have, like, different sections we go through. And if we don't do that, we're either going way too long, way too short. We don't cover what we want to cover. So, yeah, I got better with, I've gotten better with time. But, like, I also, like, want... it makes you want to try other types of shows too. Like we've tried different, um, different episode formats to try to sh- shake things up. You get more confident with it as you go. Um, for sure though.
0: Yeah, definitely. And so actually I want to know, uh, what are the four sh- uh, movies that you drafted? You drafted.
1: Yeah. So I, I drafted, well, we did uh eight film draft. Actually, I think I might have it up here with me. We literally just did it the other day and, um, I don't, I don't have it up here with me right now, Uh, but we, I had the fourth pick. So I, and we did snake draft style. So I had the fourth pick wrapped around to the fifth pick. Um, So this episode of the, I don't know when you're posting this, but um, I have, these are my eight tenant. I got birds of prey or at subsequent movie film, the five bloods. I'm thinking of ending things. Mank. Bill and Ted face the music and one night in Miami. Those are the uh those are the ones I, I was able to scrounge up on my team with the picking last.
0: So of this year, I mean, like you said, it's a different year. Um, but what was your favorite movie of the year?
1: Uh I haven't settled on it yet. It's a, it's close and there are still some I need to see before it's all said and done because we got um there's still a few movies left that come out this year, like like Pixar's Soul, I really want to see that comes out on Disney Plus in a few days. So I'm really excited for that one. That honestly could jump to one depending on how good it is. Uh I'm thinking of ending things. Charlie Kaufman's film from Netflix is in contention. Uh, there's a documentary I saw called My Octopus Teacher on Netflix. Um, also also up there about this guy who free dives in South Africa and he, he friends an octopus. It's very did you cry? Very interesting tale. Uh, that one, I cried. I cried. In, I think I cried in both of those. Oh, I don't know if I cried. And I'm thinking about it. The last one I did,
0: the last episode I I just posted and I did, he was talking about my octopus friend and he, and he said he cried. And so I, yeah,
1: there's, there's a point, there, there's a couple of points where you, I could see it. I think, uh, I think the conclusion, you don't want to give too much away. Cause uh, for anyone listening who likes documentaries, go see that. It's very good. It's, I've seen, I think, 486 movies this year, 487 at this point. And that's, uh, of 2020 movies, it's one of the best ones I've seen. Um, yeah, it's tear-worthy. It's quite good.
0: What's your favorite genre of movie? Oh,
1: favorite genre of movie? Uh. I think the most consistently, like I, I, will like what it's what it's putting down. It's like it's like black comedies, like like dark comedies. Um, I like some like surrealist kind of movies. Like David Lynch is one of my favorite directors. So you know Mulholland Drive, Blue Velvet, that kind of stuff. Um, beyond that, like I, like I, anything that's a little more experimental, like it, it can be like a general a general genre film. But, like, things that, like, are less conventional. Like, when you – big blockbuster kind of movies uh, typically aren't, like, what I would go for. Uh, broad comedies, same kind of thing. I like a little bit more um, – something I'm going to remember, something that's extremely different. Because when you watch – I watch hundreds of movies a year. So the ones that stick with you are the ones that are specifically different. So I don't know if it's a specific genre. Uh, I think surreal – like, surrealist horror and, like, dark comedies tend to have more weird stuff in them. So they stick better. Uh, but anything unique, anything that just doesn't, uh, break, it breaks out of the traditional storytelling. Mode.
0: In your mind, what, have you found any sort of link between what makes a movie successful or what makes a, a majority of people who watch the movie, like connect and like be on the edge of their seats, the entire movie, or have you saying it's different for each movie?
1: Uh, in what terms are successful Like audience reaction, critic, box office I mean it's hard to, But all of them I think have different yeah. uh, Things going for them
0: So I actually want to know all three Because I have no idea But let's start with <laughs> audience um, engagement Like what, what Creates the success of a movie That keeps audience like Super engaged the entire movie
1: The So something that we're like the majority of audiences respond to um, they like a general f- full, like three act structure. Uh, you want like a 40 minute begin, or probably like a, a shorter beginning. You probably want like a 25, 30 minute beginning, a 45 minute build up, and a quick, pretty quick conclusion. Um, I think audiences now, unless it's a big superhero movie, which are kind of their own special thing, they've, they've, they've kind of broken into their own really successful because they, they kind of got that trifecta. They're good at box office. Most people like them and critics also tend to like them. So I guess, I guess really the most successful kind of movies nowadays are superhero movies because before, before uh, like a lot of MCU movies got really big and popular and, you know, also critically well received and, you know, they even won awards, like they kind of check all the boxes before that. The big popular movies were like summer blockbuster, like um, Independence Day, Michael Bay kind of movies. Roland Emmerich movies, like just big explosiony stuff, and that's because you know you could take most of the time they're PG thirteen. You could take the whole family. that Dad, Dad's gonna like it. Mom might fall asleep, but like it'll get the most people to go see it. But now you have when you have super these big superhero tentpole movies, which kind of are the most successful. They also combine something else that's been more successful, which is long form storytelling. Uh, TV shows have gotten a lot more popular, or streaming shows. People like to see things in, you know, eight-part series now, like, uh, you know, a lot of the big documentary series, um, a lot of the big, like, popular streaming shows are all eight episodes that are 45 minutes. And really, the MCU and the DC Universe, to a lesser extent, they're just kind of uh, they're kind of long-form TV. They're just big episodes. because the one you see one, you see the next one. They all loosely have to do with each other. Um, but it's it's people like uh, people like cohesive storytelling and people like uh, the universe making sense, especially when it's a lot of things like together. Like they like things tied up neat. Uh, they don't like continuity errors that that'll that'll catch them every time. Um, but that, like st- stuff like the actual writing and even like some of the way things are shot, I think on a getting people to watch at scale, that's not as always an, as important. I think it's a lot more of the big picture storytelling mm-hmm. that people respond to
0: yeah i think especially with those comic book uh, movies i think what mm-hmm. you said about the universe making sense like if you like if so say if there's a comic book series and they go into a movie and then they like tweak this storyline a little bit you'll have critics who've i read the comic books just like like oh this movie's trash they uh yeah. they did they changed this this is actually this and this so I think it is really weird. Like, it becomes... Especially with those long, long um, style, like, almost episode-like movies, it becomes almost where, like, they're, they are they they do exist in their own type of universe. And if you even tweak them so slightly, the audience, like, kind of, like, pulls away because they were so... Like, I know my mom watches this show, Supernatural. I don't know if you know what it is. Mm-hmm. And yeah. she... And, like, she, when they do something like that, I, they just finish. But when they do something like that and they tweak it, she she gets upset. And it's almost like those it's its own universe itself, you know? So I do understand what you're saying, but like people like that episodic kind of long style movie. And I think, and to an extent, if they're going to have a a next part, I think people like the cliffhanger a lot, you know? people It keeps them coming back like a
1: long form TV series. would. Like, you know, like uh, Stranger Things, very popular Netflix show. They leave with cliffhangers, but like they're smart. A lot of their seasons will end with something that satisfyingly wraps up that story. And just enough to make you want to come back, but if it were to end, it would still be satisfying. That's a smart way to go. Um, and like MCU, I think it's just like kind of the best example because I'm a I'm a big Star Wars fan. That's like that was my first thing I watched when I was younger. That was like a big thing. And uh, they, I personally think they've kind of bungled like their universe. Like they like their their continuity's bad. their like things things old fans remember don't make sense with what the new ones show. Not that prequels were much better at that compared to the original trilogy, but Star Wars is kind of a bungled mess and like things don't make sense. And you really have to have a lot of band-aids in the universe for people to care. Cause that's the thing is you have to have people continue to care about these characters, movie over to movie. Whereas the MCU, they have like 23 movies and almost everything's pretty tight. Like they their, their continuity errors are more nitpicks than, Big giant gaping plot holes that you know don't make sense from movie to movie
0: why do you That's think more that successful is a model so why do you think that Star Wars continuity has fell off so much?
1: Uh, I think uh, I don't think it's been run I don't think it's been run very well. really ever I think it was kind of lucky that it worked so well because so Lucas made it in 1977 all by all accounts, that production was a complete mess and it was saved in editing. And it was almost a fluke that it became a big hit. Then Empire Strikes Back comes along. George steps away and has his teacher Irvin Kirshner, take over as the director, and just and things just fall into place. And Empire, most Star Wars fans will point to as their favorite of the series. And I, I can't—I mean, it's not my favorite, but I, I, I'm not going to argue with that. So you have two excellent giant blockbuster movies right off the bat: Return of the Jedi, wider mass appeal. Lucas is in direct, but he has his hands in it. And then you have a piece that's really cohesive. And then you take a big break and parents pass it on to kids. And it's uh, before, you know, it's before widespread internet. So it's popular, just like word of mouth. And then they make new ones and George takes complete control. And most older fans don't like those ones. I'm a little kinder on them, but I, I agree that they have major problems and so they're their own cohesive piece, all taken care of by George episodes one, two, and three, but they are so completely different than the first ones that already fans of the originals can't reconcile with those three. So you have kind of a lucky thing work. And then 15 years later, this guy who has kind of stepped away from filmmaking, George Lucas directed has directed like two other movies outside of the Star Wars universe and hasn't had a lot to do with other... I mean, he produces like the Indiana Jones movies, but like he... He's kind of stepped out of making his own stuff. So you have this guy, this recluse almost, with almost full creative control, because how could George Lucas fuck up Star Wars? And then people are outraged at that. They're like, all right, who's the safest, biggest thing? Like, who's the safest thing we can put Star Wars in the hands of? And who's the biggest person that can afford to buy Star Wars and do something with it? Well, it's Disney, of course. Disney will pay billions of dollars for a giant franchise and make it its own thing. Um, and so they have seven, eight, nine, the next major movies come out and they didn't plan it. They didn't it did, like the MCU feels like from maybe it's third or fourth movie. Once they had Iron Man and like Hulk and Captain America and Thor, once those guys are all like established, they're like, we got something here. All of these are hits of somewhat. If we can make this Avengers movie work. Let's plan the next 15 years of our movies. And as long as we keep this formula going, it will work. And I don't think Star Wars did that at all. They gave they have three movies that are completely have nothing to do with each other. The first made by JJ Abrams, who is a Spielbergian kind of director. The middle movie made by Ryan Johnson, a director I like, but should never be given a franchise movie. He's a weirdo and likes to do weirdo things, which is fine, but like he should not be in charge of a, you know, giant franchise movie. And they those two movies have nothing to do together. You come on with the ninth film that came out like a year ago and you put JJ back in charge. And now he's like, well, I set up this whole thing and he didn't want to do my thing. And now I don't know what to do. So he just throws everything at the wall and it's kind of a complete mess. Uh, And then you have small resurgent things like you have like the TV shows people like, The Clone Wars. Mandalorian, I think, is doing a lot of things about Star Wars right? Um, But it they had no plan is the star wars has never had a plan and that's kind of a big problem when you're setting up a universe it's also it spans 40 years mcu spans 11 12 years i mean they could they have plenty of time to fuck it up but from here on out they've planned everything and i think the planning has paid dividends
0: do you think that there's a point in time especially with movie series like star wars or um or marvel or um even dc to that extent like the like mainly in one so like the star wars trilogy um where like they keep making too many movies and like if they would have stopped it would have been way more successful than it was like do you think they want to keep on um like is there a point where a series like of a movie series becomes like almost too much like where like okay say like there's an entirely new series that comes out the first three are really good and if they would have stopped at four then it would have been successful but they go to six because they want to bank on those they want to keep making money on the same you know kind of series you know
1: yeah, that's the that's where it's like I think as a fan of Star Wars, who like like it's a thing of like I I I don't I, I wish I could block out like the last movie. I, really, I of all the movies, like I, I I have love for them in some way or another, you, despite their flaws. But that last one really really irked me in a lot of ways. Um, but at the same time, as a fan, you want more of the thing you love. Like anyone, like like if you're a big fan of a thing, you want more of it. And as a big company that bought four billion dollar property they're going to keep making stuff like even if the, i mean the the way to make even more is to make the quality good that's why i think marvel succeeds especially like where dc has and dc has similar issues where like they don't have they haven't built anything up they don't know where their stories are going there's not a lot it doesn't feel like there's big planning behind these other ones where mcu feels like they planned everything out so if you're gonna have like like Star Wars, they just had Mandalorian. Finally, something people liked. It's got good critic stuff. It's the biggest thing on Disney Plus right now. People love Mandalorian. And Disney just announced at their last the last last conference was that all their new Marvel shows, all of their uh, other Disney Plus originals, and there's like eight Star Wars shows coming out. They're like, people like Mandalorian, let's make eight more TV shows. And I don't know if those are all going to work. I have, you know, hopes, but it's... I think even if things aren't quality in the end, it probably still pumps out more money until it's completely dead. like something like know, Indiana Jones where the fourth one killed it, but they'll probably still bring that back in 10 years and make money off of it. So it's hard not to make money when you got enough money behind something. Money begets money with the big studio stuff. So.
0: Are you like covering your mic every, every so slightly? Cause so, at some points you're it like, kind of, it, it kind of muffles you. It was just that last
1: <coughs> thing you said. Okay. Um, <laughs> I I think it's just against my shirt, but hopefully we'll, yeah, hopefully let me know if it happens again.
0: Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, It was just kind of like going in it. Like it wasn't bad. Like it just kind of sounded like almost like a little scratch. So I was just making sure Uh you didn't cover it all the way one time, but um, back, I digress. Um, But yeah, so (laughs) I've, I've noticed that like to when, here's a weird thing about Star Wars though, that I noticed is like, Mm. except for these new movies, like, so, if you have like my parents' age, I guess you would say they love the the first three Star Wars, and then they yeah. pass it down to me. And I mean, I don't hate the the um, the new Star Wars because it's like when I was growing up. And the third Star Wars is my favorite because like I, I like seeing Anakin fight um, uh, Obi Wan and everything. I like I love that. Yeah, okay, yeah, Revenge
1: of the Sith, the uh, prequel yeah. era stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, I mean, not that like it's like your generation like you like what your generation is but almost like in a series like that it's like if you grow up watching watching something develop too i feel like you have more in- inclination to like it than if you were already an adult and had seen the beginning ones because like i had seen the first star wars is but like i grew up when the first ones were coming out i mean the, the mm-hmm. one two three the prequels were coming out so i yeah, saw those at like the same time that i saw um at the same time that I saw um, the the first ones. So, like, mm, okay. it, I feel like I like them a little bit better than my parents would because of the sheer fact that
1: I grew up. Uh, how and... old are when? Did, when did you um, – how old are you? I'm 20, so I – Okay, so, yeah, you're a few years younger than – yeah, I'm, I'm 26. Okay, yeah. So, like, I had watched the original three when I was, I don't know, four or five, and then after – because when I found the original three – they the thing I watched every day. Like I just kept popping them in the VHS player over and over again. And then two years after doing that is when Phantom Menace came out. So like I had a small buffer before where I only knew the first three and then these new ones came out. And I loved those when I came out. Cause I was, you know, ages, you know, f- six through f- 12, 13. So like I only knew those other than the original and I wasn't old enough to see, you know, some major plot problems. There's still things I love in those movies, but uh Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah, I was trying to get where, where you were like when they came out. I was like, I can see that, but it's hard It's hard for me to... Most people I know who watch it are around my age too, so.
0: So back to these, um, we talked about what you're, what the worst movie that you've ever reviewed and the best movie that you ever reviewed. Instead of that, yeah. what's the worst movie you've ever seen and what's the best movie you've ever seen?
1: Uh, um, all right, so I have like a 1A and a 1B for my two favorite movies. Best is hard, Cause like, I think there's a, there's a level of objective good. And then above that, it becomes subjective and what you like. Like, I think there's like at a certain level of competency, everyone can, or the majority of people can agree, this is good. And then above that, it's like, what's, what's your favorite thing in that category? Uh, I have a 1A and a 1B. My favorite movie is 1A is probably Quentin Tarantino's (laughs) Jackie Brown is like maybe his second or first least seen movie. Uh, about a uh, flight attendant who has to try to smuggle money from Mexico for her boss, and she deals with the bail bondsman and the ATF. Uh, it's long. It's the least gory. It's the slowest of his movies. And I pretty much think he only makes good movies, but um, that one just—I don't know—it speaks to me in a weird way. I, I've, I watched that thirty or forty times. Um, the other B, which is uh, a very different movie entirely, is Mulholland Drive. I think I said it earlier. Uh, David Lynch's, uh, like psycho thriller soap opera movie. Uh, it's about it's hard to say what it's about. It's about this girl who moves to Hollywood to try to be a big actress, and it has all this, it's very corny and campy. Uh, and then two thirds of the way through, you realize it's like this really horrible, evil, sadistic thing, and um, it's uh. I don't like giving stuff away in that movie Drive. I have Mulholland Drive. If it's out there on any streaming services right now And you haven't seen it, it came out in 2001 So if you're younger, you probably haven't seen it yeah, It's worth a go back, very interesting um, But least favorite Least favorite, it's hard To see, like, because I, I also like Schlock, like, I like so bad they're good movies Like, I like uh, The Room And um, what's one that came out Recently, Velocipastor on Amazon Prime That shit's terrible, but like, I like I like Garbage too and that stuff's really bad, but, like, that's enjoyable bad, so that's not, like, the worst thing I've seen. Um, yeah, worst is hard. I'll have to think about that one for a bit, because...
0: Yeah. If, the, if you, the, if, those are,
1: like, really bad just doesn't pop to mind. Like, really yeah. bad, I enjoy, but, like, yeah.
0: When I was a kid, <laughs> me and my dad, and I think my sister, watched the worst movie of all time called Monsters in the Closet. Um, I've never seen that. No. And, and we joke, and I was probably I don't know six, seven, or eight, and we just joked about it for like years on years about how horrible that movie was. Um, but, but that's was, a good experience. Yeah, like that's like a,
1: so bad it's good. Where it's like this thing is such a piece of garbage, and there's like lines and actor choices yeah. and like baffling camera movements, and like nothing makes sense. And like that's like a fun one for me to watch. Like I would never. I call that bad, but I would never call that like my least favorite
0: thing. No, yeah, it was because the experience matters more than the movie. Right. Um,
1: and if you see it with friends or family, yeah. all the better. Like yeah. you just you can just laugh at it with like together.
0: Um one of the things I cannot stand though about Netflix is that sometimes they have they have movies made in other countries, which is fine. But like mm then they put English over the top of these people speaking, clearly speaking another language.
1: Uh yes.
0: And and it's like, the, it's not timed up, and I just cannot watch it. I cannot watch it. I would rather watch it in that language and have the subtitles on than watch their mouths move with English behind
1: it. It's the subs versus dubs debate, which if anyone's a big anime fan that listens, they'll know it's a. it's very common in anime because a lot of anime is Japanese-speaking. But then... Some people like the subtitles where they can read it and then hear the actors in their original language speak it. And then some people prefer, I don't understand these people, they're out there, I guess, but they want to hear the English words said by typically a less skilled voice actor where it does not match the lips, like you said. And they prefer that because they don't want to read the thing. I'm like, that's really inferior. Like we actually did a—we did a movie earlier this year, much earlier this year, Oh, I Lost My Body, which is a Spanish-language animated film. And um, the first thing you do when you start watching it is it has the English actors speaking in it. Um, and I reviewed it with two of my co-hosts. And it started English for me, too, but I knew it was a Spanish-language film. It's was like, oh, let me just change it to Spanish real quick to its original language. And when I was reviewing it with them, I realized about 15 minutes in that they had both watched the English uh, dubbed version where they heard the English speakers. And I'm like, that's just... It's just not the way the movie was intended. Like you have, like, people are like, it takes away having to look down, look back up to read. I'm like, after a while, if it's a good thing you're watching and you're enjoying it, you really don't. I Personally, I really don't notice having to look half an inch down on the screen and read the thing and then look back up. Like, it it doesn't really take away a lot for me. It's, it's, I think it's worse to take away from the voice acting, which is like an important part of the characters.
0: I actually enjoy and favor watching with subtitles really on anything. Um, yeah, same. Me and my girlfriend get in this debate because she hates subtitles, and I'm like, love them on everything, <laughs> even comedy. I because I, I I read pretty fast, so I like yeah. I can read it, and then I can go back up. But she hates subtitles, so she's like, why are the subtitles on? And I'm like, and I'm like, oh, and then if someone else is there and they like subtitles, then we get to keep them on usually.
1: But <laughs> right. No, my, my girlfriend likes to keep them on. We, we keep them on sometimes when we're watching English language stuff. Like, we just don't turn them off because it doesn't distract us. And, like, sometimes I don't know how it is on certain shows, but, like, for some reason, like, the music will be really loud all of a sudden, but then the, the dialogue's really quiet. And I'm like, I'm not going to keep fiddling with my remote the whole time. Like, I'll put subtitles on. Yeah. One word sounds muffled. I'll read it real quick. Like, I, I don't know. I don't find it distracting either. I'm way, I way prefer subtitles when it's
0: a choice. Do you watch Hulu?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I, Netflix, Prime, Hulu, Disney Plus. Those are the, those so are the four streaming I don't, services.
0: Your Hulu does this, but my Hulu, I'll be watching a show and the show will be extremely quiet, and then the ads will yeah. come on and it's so loud.
1: Yep, that happens. That happens to me. I it's it's those and like any action movies. And I don't know if it's just Hulu. I haven't I haven't picked apart which ones do it worse. But like it'll be a quiet dialogue scene and like people will be talking. And then the next thing will be giant orchestra band explosion in the background. I'm like, Oh my God. Like I don't want, and it's, it's, it's so noticeable. Like you have to, you have to change it. Like it's, it hurts your ears if it's too loud. And like, otherwise you will not be able to hear them talk. It's, uh, it's frustrating. <laughs> it is
0: That is the one of the most frustrating things about watching just any like streaming service uh, with ads, especially. And like, I don't know what it is. Like, I don't know if it's the movie when it gets downloaded in, onto the site or what it is, because in the theater, it sounds fine, usually. But usually,
1: then- yeah. I've had a couple of, like, like earlier this year, I saw Christopher Nolan's Tenet. That was a little, but I think that was the movie's fault. Like I think the sound mixer on that, the sound mixing on that just wasn't up to snuff for the, for the theater stuff, even though that's usually Christopher Nolan's forte. He's the Dark Knight trilogy guy. Um, but, yeah, like, when I'm in the theater, usually they do the right thing where the dialogue is turned up and the sound effects are... If not turned down, at least subdued to the point. But yeah, I don't know what it is about streaming where like the ads and the music, like just they don't they haven't figured out how to line it up yet. It seems like it's most of them, but it might be Hulu more than the others. I haven't picked out which ones do it worse. Um.
0: Yeah. So I have a couple more questions for you, just regarding that. Oh yeah. When you go back to what you were saying about like your favorite or your worst because you were saying like it, it gets into subjective rather than objective. Um, mm-hmm. Would you say there's like any type of objective movie reviews or movie critics?
1: Um, I kind of think there is, and I don't know. I think that might be an unpopular opinion actually, but uh, I think there's a certain level of technical ability and like prowess on screen and a general sense of storytelling and writing a base level of acting like i think you know makeup and like every small department there is a base level of something where like at this point it's competent and then above that it can be um it can be great and that's the thing is like i i don't think it's it's okay for a movie to be bad and entertaining like because like i said earlier there's tons of movies that i think like are objectively horrible bad not well created movies in any way and yet I will watch them over and over because I find them exceptionally entertaining in one way or the other. Um, but I think there is a difference between something being called good and something being called something you like. So I think there's a baseline. I don't, I'm don't. i not the one to set it, but uh, I think there is something to um, having. There is a certain level where, like, there, you can tell when there's, it's been made by a craftsman and it's been made by Schmo, and you can tell when it's an amateur that has promise and then they make something later and it's, and it's technically great. And it's, it, hits all the numbers. A lot of really good directors that I like their first works are real rough around the edges, but you can tell that there's something in there. And then they get a little more money, they get a little more budget, a little more experience and they, they make something great.
0: Could you give me an example of someone who you thought, um, was an like was an amateur writer before, and now has grown into someone who is very popular and very good.
1: Uh, yeah, actually, the, earlier this show, um, I don't know if people know who Noah Baumbach is, but he directed Marriage Story, was the big one of his biggest ones he's done. That was up at the Oscars last year for several awards. Um, he's done a lot of movies before that. I just saw his first film that he ever did. Uh, earlier this year called Kicking and Screaming, not the Will Ferrell comedy that people are probably thinking of. There's another movie called Kicking and Screaming that came out in the mid-90s. Um, and I don't think that's a very good film. The act the acting, which has some like, you know, D-list-ish kind of actors in it, um, is like uh a little too stiff. The camera work is like real stagey, like it doesn't move around a lot. The writing is sharp, the writing is good, um, but it also sounds like you know, a guy right out of college wrote it and didn't have anyone else help him polish it. There's even, he, and he's self-aware of this, which is part of what makes him better later on. He puts jokes in there like uh, the four guys in the movie will be talking to each other and a woman at the bar will come up and be like, you guys all sound like you talk the same, which is really funny for like someone who's like, yeah, because it's written by the same guy and they're all different versions of the same guy who wrote it. And as you get better at writing, you learn how to write characters better and not just from, you know, your own narrow point of point of view. Um, but it's not, a, it's not a very good movie, like it doesn't flow very well. It doesn't keep you engaged very well. It does. It looks. Um, it's not super low budget, but it looks. It looks cheaper than it, than it should. Um, but it it has a lot of promise there, where you can see like this writer knows he, how he's telling something. There's a few scenes where like the actors will do something, and it's clearly a direction from the director, and I'm like that's kind of a funny choice to make. And I think I haven't seen all his movies, but several of the ones I've seen since 10, 15 years later. Like, there's like, I think marriage story and his other movies, Squid, Ma- <clears throat> Squid and the Whale, are like four and a half, five star movies. I think they're incredible. So, you know, I think, and then some people come right out, out of the gate swinging and they make their first thing and it's great. But, um, yeah, it's, I think a lot of the greats start with subpar material and then make it better. Would you
0: say that there are a list? Air quotes on directors who the only reason their movies are successful is because they have A-list actors around them, but they're them as themselves are just pretty trash directors.
1: <clears throat> um. Well, this this will get into uh, <laughs> this will get into some of personal opinions. Um, like the like critically wise, uh, Danny Boyle is a very popular director. He's made a lot of good movies, like uh, Slumdog Millionaire. is one of the big ones he's made. Uh, but he's also made uh, train spotting. He made Sunshine. He made a movie most recently called Yesterday, the one about the guy uh, with the Beatles. The Beatles never existed. So he makes all their songs up and then he gets really famous. Um, and I don't like most of his movies, but the ones I do like have a really good writer attached. And that writer goes on later to do great things like. Uh, like, like Sunshine is written by Alex Garland, who made Ex Machina and Annihilation, two films from the last couple of years that I absolutely love. And he's a fantastic uh, sci-fi writer. <clears throat> he also had writing for him, Aaron Sorkin, who did, I mean, he m- created the West Wing and he also directed Molly's Game and most recently this year, which will probably up for many awards, Trial of Chicago 7. So I think he's like uh, one of the luckier guys who like, he has these star writers writing for him. And then he also has big actors like Spawning*. I don't like that movie at all, but that has Ewan McGregor in it when he's breaking out of his indie shell and he goes on to do big things. And all the other movies that just like like Slumdog Millionaire, Dev Patel, the guy from the main character in that, he's all over the place now. He's huge. And um, and uh, Steve Jobs, that movie he directed, I mean, that's got Michael Fassbender as the lead character. So the thing is, I'm picking on a guy who's like, a still competent director, but like you hear that in the background. I yeah.
0: Sorry. one second. Yeah, no
1: worries. Sorry, my girlfriend's working in the other room.
0: No, you're good. Don't worry <coughs> about it.
1: Um, yeah. So like, like he's. I'm kind of picking on Danny Boyle because I think he's still like a competent director, but like I think he has he's overrated because of some of the writing and acting talent he's had around him. And then there's other directors that make popular stuff like Michael Bay. He makes the Transformers movies. Everyone loves Transformers movies. It's got Mark Wahlberg and Shia LaBeouf and big flying robots. But those, I think those movies are not very good, but they make a ton of money. People like them. People think they're funny or of good action or whatever that they see in them, which is fine. But like, I don't, uh, I, I wouldn't consider any of those good. I mean, I think they're big popcorn flicks. So there's, there's stuff, there's big timers out there that I don't think are necessarily good quality directors, I guess you could say.
0: So something that, I mean, you might not be able to answer it fully, but just to your best ability, I have no idea what the difference between like what the director does versus what the screenwriter does. I obviously like the director directs what's the actions that the actors are doing and like the sets and everything. But what is really the, like, what does the director actually do really? Cause I know that, cause like there's a story and the story is supposed to take place in somewhere, but what does the director actually do? for a movie.
1: So if you're the director and you're not also <clears throat> the screenwriter and producer and editor, because like, there's, there's directors who will do everything. There's directors who are like a tour directors like a Quentin Tarantino or like a Wes Anderson where they're the director, they're the writer. They usually have a big hand in the editing process. They usually had a big hand in financing the movie and finding people to invest in the movie. They had a big hand in the casting with the casting director and picking the people in it. So for those people... They do everything. Like they have their hand in everything. They're kind of the CEO of a movie. Um, when you're <clears throat> there's also directors for hire on like big studio pictures where they did like they'll call up a person who is a director, maybe for a TV show or a, a lesser known guy or girl. And um, they'll say, Hey, we have this really good script. And um, we have Brad Pitt and Robert Pattinson attached as the stars. And uh, we have. 50 million that the studio will pay for it and you have eight weeks to come and work on it. And if they say yes, they'll go down. And the director will literally like, they'll be behind the people on the camera and say, all right, actors, this is what the script is saying. I think you should do play these things like this. Then they'll go around to the different departments, camera team. Are we set up? Um, Are we rolling sound? Like just all the little kind of basic minutiae stuff behind the scenes. So those are like the different types of like, general i'm sure there's like a lot of wiggle room in between but there's like the guys who will do everything and like this is their baby and they're running the whole show and like they they they're involved in every process and then there's some people who are you know hired directors for big studio pictures
0: so it's mainly like interpreting the script through and like because directors i'm guessing have better knowledge on how like how a good scene works and how a good scene fits together and how people in the yeah. scene mix together. So what they do is they read the script, they understand the scenery or where we're at in the movie. And then they try to make that scene fit better, best in the movie through the script and through the actors almost.
1: Yeah. Like a, dir- a good, most good directors, even when they're not our tours where they have a step in every way, they've kind of touched every department before at some point in their career like you know a good like if you uh if you're the director and you're like all right yeah here's where we are in this scene uh character a you're feeling this way right now because this just happened i know we filmed that two months ago but this is what just happened this is where your character's at a good actor will be able to tap into that and give you a good performance character b this is what you're doing same thing then they'll go back and be like how is the camera set up for the scene we're going to cut from camera a to camera b here's how it's going to look and they'll say uh, can we move camera B down a little bit? I don't like this angle because it's giving too much even ground and we need to show this sort of dichotomy in, in the scene to, to project this character is bigger. Like, they'll make those kind of decisions where, like, it's subtle camera movements, like this camera's higher up, this camera's higher down. It's showing a dominance in the scene, stuff that, like, the viewer doesn't think about. But when you are seasoned behind the camera, you realize, like, the art of visual storytelling is, like, every little camera movement, every little sound piece, um, how long a scene goes for, like the difference between two and three seconds where a camera lingers on something is huge. So like, that's the kind of stuff the director decides while they're shooting. And then a lot of times they'll have editing control too in some way, not always. Sometimes the production company gets final cut, but uh, then later on they'll go back and put it all together um, the way they see it fit to sell the story.
0: Besides notoriety in your mind what do you think makes a, a really good actor like if Leonardo DiCaprio we didn't know who he was and he just appeared and he had all this talents that he has now what are those features of a good actor regardless of age or uh, notoriety what really makes a good actor for a, for a good film?
1: It's almost a je ne sais quoi which is I I don't know it's a it's a It's pretty much charisma, honestly, because I watch a lot of smaller movies with people no one's ever seen. It's their biggest movie, and their biggest role other than that was Cadaver on CSI, you know, cop four in some TV show that got canceled after one season. The amount of acting talent that overflows in movies that I see is insane. Like, the number of small-time actors that I see, I'm like, how is he or her not in... A million things all the time. They're so good. And they're in this one thing and they haven't worked in three years. Like, why why is this so? It's it's a big like there's a a very small bead of charisma, like that is probably the most important thing. There is just a movie star presence to the A-list people. And everyone else is pretty like saw like the, the top of the list is, is is narrow. And even like guys who are like, Oh, that guy, I recognize that guy, you don't know his name. That's still one of the most successful actors out there. Like at that point you get a reputation of being easy to work with, or maybe you make some friends and they help you get stuff. Um, it's a lot of who, you know, kind of connection stuff, but if you're just trying to get discovered, you need to have off the screen charisma. Otherwise you need to know people. I think those are kind of the only two ways to go about it.
0: I do think it's funny.
1: You know, it's like, you could be a good, like, there's a lot, like I've interviewed some people, um, who were like in a lot of short films made their own stuff and they do like commercials and like, um, They'll be like a model in a catalog, and like that's good acting work. You're getting you're getting paid work to mm-hmm. be on a thing, and like and like that's the majority of actors. People don't think about this. All those people in the heartburn commercials, going, "Oh, my stomach!" <laughs> like that guy wants to so badly be in like the next Spider-Man movie, but like and like and like if he knew ten Ugh. different people, he might have been cashier in Spider-Man. Yeah. Movies, but instead, he's doing Pepto-Bismol, which. <laughs> but that guy could be just as good, <laughs> you know, like.
0: I feel so bad for those people. There's this one ad. It's that, hard. <laughs> there's this one ad that comes on all the time, and it's like, and my, my girlfriend cry laughing at it, but it's like, not today, Crohn's. And, and <laughs> I just feel so bad for those people because they really do try really hard and they really probably do want to be good actors, but they're just.
1: Dude, like, that guy so badly wished he could go not today, Thanos, but he has to go not today, Crohn's. Like yeah. that poor guy. Like, But like he could be great, but I mean, and that's uh, the thing. It's like not everyone's great. There are like not great people, but the, I've just, I've seen like just this year, I've seen like dozens and dozens of movies where like, these no-name actors are pouring their heart in there and some of them are actually really good and they're just never going to be as big as their talent is. Like there's just too much talent.
0: I mean, that's in any domain of like work though, you know, it's all about who
1: you know, really. Especially entertainment stuff, like anything entertainment related, it's going to be like that. It's, you know, entertainment related, anything where, you got a high paycheck, like those are going to be cutthroat. Like, you know, there's, there's not a big competition in line for, for retail work because no one wants to do it. <laughs> you don't get paid a lot of notoriety and then like, if it's not a lot some, if it's your dream and that's what you want to do, then perfect. The world is very well set out for you to be able to achieve that. But for people who dream of some sort of stardom, it's, Ooh, it is not an easy path like it is and like you could be the best and still never make it the number of people out there like the number of like a-list actors that we will never hear of thousands probably because they just don't have a path yeah
0: there. the I best actor is, in the
1: world we've never seen before
0: it's yeah crazy to think about. that is crazy to think about i actually haven't thought about that before
1: the like best the best actor. guy is probably some like he's living in like a like a shoebox in like Ukraine and like we but like if he, someone would just put him in the biggest Broadway play, yeah. he'd be up for everything, but like we'll just never know.
0: Isn't it funny how like you could be on watching a movie and if like you don't even have to know an actor's name, if you recognize their face, you feel better about the movie
1: a little bit. It I definitely like there's actors I like that like if I see them in a thing and I'm on the fence and it's under an hour and a half, I'm like, eh, I watch everything. I'll, I'll just throw it on. Like that's like my highest criteria is like under an hour and a half. I don't, I've never heard of it, but like, do I know the director? Do I know the writer? Do I know any of the main people? Oh, he's that C-list guy from office space. Yeah, sure. I'll watch this. Um, it is there's an usually those movies aren't even that good, but like there's a comfort in knowing yeah. like your favorite person's in this.
0: Who do you think the best director out right now is?
1: Um, it's kind of a passing of the torch time right now. I mean, a lot of the big guys who were 60s, 70s, 80s directors who kind of took back, because, like, for the longest time, movies were studio movies, like, 30s, 40s, 50s, all the way up until you had, like, Kubrick's, Scorsese's, De Palma's, like, and then even Spielberg's, like, until you had those kind of guys the big guys in charge of making movies were production studios and the director was just some guy you hired. And the writer usually was like, like they weren't even on, like, they're not really on set that much anyway, but like they really didn't have any credit at all. The only people that mattered were the company pumping out the movie and the one or two stars. So now it's like a big passing of the guard between those guys who are like in their seventies now. And like a newer bunch, uh, I think Dennis Villeneuve, who's a French uh, director, French Canadian director, uh, he's done Sicario, Arrival, he did Blade Runner 2049, and he's set to do the new Dune movie, uh, which Dune is one of, like, notoriously one of the hardest books to adapt. It's tried to be adapted into a movie, like, three times, and it's just horribly failed every time. Like, either it doesn't come out, or like like David Lynch, one of my favorite directors, he tried to make it. He made it an Alan Smithy movie, which, for people who don't know, means he disowned it because he thought it was so bad himself because it just nothing works. Like it's such a hard movie to adapt. And I think he's a really ambitious, um, he's going to have a lot of promise in the future and he's still young. So he's got a lot coming up. Um, I still think Christopher Nolan's one of the best out there. Uh, he kind of gets, uh, it's almost, um, he, tri- he almost tries too hard at sometimes with his, with his big studio stuff. Like I really liked his movie Tenet that just recently come out. Um, it's kind of like Inception, but trying even harder. But uh, I think he's got enough, like, style and ideas. He doesn't write very well, but I think his directing style is very good. Um, Tarantino is still at the top of his game. I'm a big Wes Anderson fan. Um, yeah, those are, like, the ones that come to mind immediately Is like, they're they're on top of their game right now.
0: Yeah, Christopher Nolan did Inception, right? He did, right?
1: for Nolan that Inception, yeah, which people people um, it's polarizing. I, I think it's a good movie. I, I, I like it.
0: It was one of my favorite movies.
1: Yeah, it's it's a it's a good movie. I I think. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of my favorite of his. Uh, like so, he's done like Inception, The Dark Knight trilogy, so Batman Begins, okay. Dark Knight, Dark Knight yeah. Rises, which are arguably the best superhero trilogy. I mean, even with how good Marvel's done, I I still think those are. Those are really, really tough to beat. Like those are just damn near perfect movies to me. Like for superhero wise, uh, he's also done like the Prestige, which is like a magician movie. But like, I really like that movie. That has Christian uh, Christian Christian Bale. I kept saying, almost saying Christopher Nolan. I'm like that's that guy, Christian Bale and uh, Hugh Jackman. That's a really good one. Um, oh, I'm missing one or two. Interstellar is not that good, I guess but like when he goes big he goes big and i think he makes interesting stuff
0: um yeah my three favorite movies probably the three would be one would be inception not in in any particular order just the three uh inception 1917 um yep. and uh shutter island those three Shutter
1: Island's good that's an underrated scorsese movie i like uh I, I like that quite the best. I, guess I saw that twice in theater. 1917 blew me away. That's uh, Sam Mendes. He's the guy who did, um, he did Sue James Bonds, he did Skyfall and Spectre, and then he also did American Beauty. That was his first, that's a that's a director where like his first big movie was amazing, but he was also a stage director for 20 years. So like yeah, he had background. But what you, 1917, I know not a lot of people saw that one. I, I absolutely loved that.
0: Yeah, I, I was just telling, I think I've talked about this three times now, this movie. I love the way that it's it one forth. scene, <laughs> one that it's one scene. You know, like it's or it's two scenes technically because he got knocked out. But I love the way that it was just directed. Like it was like it was basically his day. You know, like they they yeah. didn't, they didn't close because they were following him. The way it was directed, I thought it was fascinating.
1: Yeah, Warner it, Warner is tough to do for a full movie. I've seen it done in a couple of TV shows. Um, like I don't know if you watch Always Sunny, but there's an episode of that that's a Warner. Uh, where where Charlie's running back and forth all day trying to keep the bar together, and it's shot the same way. Where it gives you the and uh, Birdman. Birdman's a movie that came out like five or six years ago. Or that whole movie's a wonder. Obviously, like they're not really wonders. Like the director uses tricks to make it so that like you can cut the camera here, cut the camera here. Like you couldn't obviously film an hour and a half straight and, and keep it in perfectly. But it's uh I, yeah, it's a really engaging way. Like it's like war dramas aren't always my favorite, but like it keeps you in there. And that last 20 minutes is just, it's just real damn good. Once he, when he shows up at the camp with the guy singing to the end, I'm I, without giving anything away. I, I, that's, that's some quality stuff. That was my, that was my second favorite movie from last year.
0: Oh, awesome.
1: Yeah. Um, I really yeah. like that.
0: What was your first?
1: Uh, Parasite. Uh, <laughs> and that was before it won Oscars. I, we, we did our show. Yeah, I have the proof it. we did that show uh, two, two months before the Oscars came out, but um I like Bong joon Ho is that I should have put him as guys on top of his game. I, he's he's made like five or six movies, only two English speaking movies. He made um, Snow Piercer, uh, where the train goes around the world. It's got Chris Evans in it. Um, and Oakjaw, which is a Netflix film uh, about this genetically modified pig that is going to like save the world because like it produces less like greenhouse gases and doesn't take up as much feed and all this stuff. But like he makes really good social commentary movies and, um, I think Parasite's the best movie I've seen of his, but he—that's another director where like he's only made good movies. And I just saw his first movie just a week ago, actually, and um, same thing as I said earlier about Noah Baumbach, rough around the edges, but yeah. it's super damn funny. You can see—you can see this guy is going to be a genius. Like you can see yeah. it right already off the top.
0: I still haven't seen Parasite. Everyone tells me I gotta watch it. Is it good? If
1: you—and especially if you don't mind reading subtitles, like yeah, it's just. It's just—I don't know if you know—like it's got some twisty, turny stuff in there, but I don't know if you know what happens in it. But um, I, I knew almost nothing going in. Yeah, I—I I honestly think it's the best way to go. Like you go almost nothing going in, and it's—it's um, it's these two families, and the one—the one tries to find a way to. It's a lot of who's who's the real parasite kind of stuff going on. There's a lot of mm. it's, it's 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 a big it's a big thing to tackle. And I it's it's a damn near masterpiece. It's that it could be a top like fifty-ish movie of all time for me.
0: That's awesome. Um, and then I want I, so here's a question I have for you. Yeah. Would you say that there there's been movies that you've changed your minds on, like that you've watched and you said like this is dog shit and then it turned out to be like one of the greatest movies you've ever seen, or this is the greatest movie I've ever seen, and then it turned out to be dog shit?
1: Uh yes, there are. I'll do I'll do the positive spin first. Um a lot of people probably my age or maybe even probably a little bit older actually would say like Big Lebowski is absolutely hilarious and one of the best comedies of all time. And first time I saw that, I did not care for it. One, one bit. Coen brothers, big directing team made like 20 ish movies. Most of them are great. Um, And that's one of their best, but like it's so confusing and there's so much going on and you're trying, the story is very hard to follow, but once you know what's going to happen and you're kind of settled in, you watch it back a second time. You realize that the jokes are amazing. Like it's just a really, really funny movie, and like the performances are great. Like the dude, everyone, even if you haven't seen the movie, you know who the dude is with the bathrobe and drinking the spoiled milk. Like, uh, or his buddy Walter, the uh, um, uh, what's his name, John Goodman, with the Vietnam vet with the sunglasses. Uh, that's one where like, and I've heard that a lot actually about that specific movie is that like people didn't love it the first time they saw it, and then upon further viewings or seeing it on TV when we're floating around like. They really came to appreciate it, Um, but the other way where it doesn't hold up. I mean, <laughs> my obvious one is like Star Wars prequels. Just because I saw those when I was <laughs> I was you know a, a, a preteen, and I was like, these are the best. This is more Star Wars. So many lightsabers, and now I'm seeing it like it's still good, but like also there's so much story problems in all of them. The third one I think is still pretty pretty like unt- untouched. I think that's still a Saw movie, but. Uh, Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, like like they made they made Darth Vader the one who built C three PO. It just doesn't make any damn sense. Like they just don't make sense. Like, Boba Fett's father created the army for the Republic. It just there's a lot of like nerd stuff in me that just like eh, doesn't make any sense. Why would you write it this way? But um, it's really the yeah, those are like the best examples. Like.
0: All right. Well, I think that's a good way to end it. Thank you, man, for coming on. That was, I'm really glad you did. You taught me a lot about just everything. Oh, I appreciate obvious. it. I hope I didn't yeah. talk too
1: much. I know. No, yeah.
0: that's, <laughs> that's, that's the best. That's the best way to do my specific show It's just me asking questions about things I'm interested in and you just tackling them like, like the way you did. So thank you so much. Um, if there's anything you want to say before you, we head off, uh, go ahead and say it right now. You can plug your Instagram. Like you said, you're going to.
1: Yeah, so my Instagram is Brennan underscore pod host. That's B-R-E-N-N-A-N underscore pod, B-O-D-H-O-S-T. Um, all of the stuff with the show, you can keep up there. That's the most frequent social media I'm on. Uh, we do tournaments, so you can, like, vote on my Instagram story uh, throughout the months on different things. Like I said, the next one coming up is top 2020 movies, so if you want to throw a vote in there, that's uh, the best way to do it. They're, they're, they're fun for the followership, and then, yeah, my show is Films with the Women in My Life. Uh, it's on all major podcast platforms. I like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Those are the two I use the most, but um, they're on like CastBox and uh, all, the, all the major ones. So that's what I got for you.
0: Thank you, man. Thank you so much. Uh, we'll definitely be in touch. I'll definitely let you know when it's posted and everything. Um, and if you ever want to come on again in the future, please let me know,
1: all right? Appreciate it, Con uh, This is fun.
0: You have a great day, man.
1: You too. I'll talk to you soon.
0: later. Bye. Happy New Year, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Thank you guys so much for what you guys have given me in 2020. It's unexplainable. I'm so proud of what I've done this year. I can only see big and brighter things for the Call and a Answer show here in 2021. And I'm bringing you guys along with me. Check out Brendan Snyder on all streaming platforms with the show, films with the women in my life. And as always, all 2021, stay demanding. we